Well, I'm glad you're here today to finish this up and to celebrate baptisms in a few minutes. Over these last few weeks, we have been looking at how doubt affects us and particularly how it affects our relationship with God. And while we have noted the fact that doubt can actually be a good thing, that it can serve us if it helps us to sort of slow down, evaluate uh, decisions that we're making and make a better decision, whenever you look at these words on the screen, this kind of doubt really is what causes confusion in our life. It causes us to be apprehensive and often to be insecure. And I think this is how some of you feel about your relationship with God. Even though uh, maybe you have a general faith, you uh, possibly grew up in church at some point in your life, or uh, maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, but you care about doing good things, and you have some kind of interest in spiritual things, still, you may doubt that you have a relationship with God that actually can guarantee your eternal destiny. But regardless of where you are on this spectrum of faith, there is one thing that no one should doubt. None of us should doubt that Jesus thought that it was possible to have a relationship with God that guarantees your eternal destiny. And there's a reason we say this. It's because of what Jesus said in John 6, 47. In that verse, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now, y'all, if we just take this simple sentence at face value, Jesus was telling us that he believed it was possible to know now for certain that you have everlasting life. And there's a couple of reasons we think this is true. First of all, you'll notice that Jesus used his most assuredly, I say unto you language. And we're going to see today that he used this over and over again. And in this case, that is language that is a language of guarantee. It's a language of promise. So that whenever Jesus says that, whatever he says, after he says, most assuredly, I say unto you, he's kind of saying, you can bank on this. The second reason we think it's possible from this verse to know now that you have eternal life is that what Jesus said wasn't complicated. I mean, just look at it. This is a simple sentence. But for many of you, knowing that you have eternal life has become incredibly complicated, and there are reasons for that. So for some of you, It's been complicated by the church that you went to, or maybe a teacher that you heard. Maybe they made it difficult to get eternal life, or maybe it was easy to get it, but then it was hard to keep it. It was hard to hang on to it. For others of you, uh, it's possible that the reason uh, eternal life has become so complicated for you is that uh, when you look at your own life and the way you're conducting yourself and your behavior and just how your life is going, you sometimes wonder, could God really love someone like myself? And so the question of our series has been, is it possible to know our eternal destiny without a doubt? And if we say that it is possible to know, then how can we know it? And we have answered this question by looking at three uh, instances where Jesus had conversations with people who doubted 
their relationship to him. And we're looking at what he has said to them. Now, the first week of our series, we looked at a woman named Martha. And Martha was struck by tragedy in her life. Her brother died prematurely. And this caused her to doubt her relationship with Jesus. In the second week, we met a woman whose name was never told to us, but this woman's life was very dysfunctional. And she had been married five times, had given up on marriage, and she was now living with her sixth man. And so she doubted that it was possible to really know if she had eternal life because of the way that she was living. And today, I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, if ever there was a guy that most people would say, oh, yeah, if if anybody could ever be certain about eternal life, it's Nicodemus. And uh, this was because he was a very educated man. He was a leader. He was a teacher. And yet Nicodemus doubted that it was possible to really know for sure his eternal destiny. But then Nicodemus had one night, he had an extended conversation with Jesus. And that conversation changed everything in his life. And so I want us to look at the conversation that he and Jesus had because it might actually help you know for sure that you have eternal life as well. Now, here's how Jesus and Nicodemus met. Back during the time of Jesus, the Jewish nation celebrated Passover in the same way, and with the same kind of energy and excitement that you and I celebrate Christmas and Easter. It was a really big deal to them. The celebration lasted a whole week, and thousands of Jewish people would travel from all around the Roman Empire. They would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this event. And it was during one of those Passover celebration weeks with all those people in town that Jesus took the opportunity to point out the fact and challenge the religious leaders who had corrupted and turned Passover into a money-making opportunity. And as you can imagine, if you had been a leader and your leadership had been challenged that way, the leaders began to say, who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is doing this kind of stuff? And so Nicodemus, who was a part of the Jewish leadership structure, he came one night to find out the answer to that question from Jesus. He wanted to know who Jesus was. Now, it's interesting that whenever he got face-to-face with Jesus, instead of just asking him, like, hey, who do you, who are you? Like, tell me, who are you? I'm all ears. Instead of asking a question... Nicodemus started the conversation by telling Jesus who he thought Jesus was. And I want you to notice what he said. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, y'all, this was a huge compliment that Nicodemus paid to Jesus. One reason it was a compliment is because he used the term rabbi. And this was a a very, you know, special, proper way to greet Jesus. It simply was a reference to someone who was a teacher. But it was also uh, important to recognize that Jesus, when Nicodemus said this to him, Jesus was only about 30 years old. 
And we know from later on in the story that Nicodemus was probably a guy at least my age or maybe a little bit older. He was more than twice the age of, uh, of Jesus. And so by saying this, calling him a rabbi, he was showing him great respect. By saying that he was from God, I mean, come on. I don't know if you've ever, I've never been told that. Like, we know you're from God. Nobody's ever said that to me. To say that is to recognize that Jesus had a certain very unusual spiritual authority. Now, you guys all know that if someone pays you a, a, an over-the-top compliment like this, what are you supposed to do, right? Like, if you have any cultural acumen, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to deflect it, right? You're supposed to say something self-deprecating like, oh, Nicodemus, really, man, I'm not that good. You know, if you really knew me kind of stuff. Well, Jesus couldn't say that. He was that good, right? So instead of deflecting it, what he did is Jesus actually kind of challenged Nicodemus even further. And he did this by making two very negative statements right up front in their conversation. And I want to point these out to you. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot, negative, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he repeated almost the same thing. He said, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now for Nicodemus, this was a very, uh, and Jesus, this was a very like Jewish little conversation that you and I are looking at. You may be asking like, what's this kingdom of God language all about? But for Nicodemus, this was what his whole life was about. To enter into the future kingdom of God for Nicodemus would mean the same thing as you and me today talking about having eternal life with God. And so Jesus told him, he said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again spiritually, you cannot have eternal life. And twice, very negatively, he said to him, you can't do it unless you have this spiritual birth. Now, the problem for Nicodemus was that he knew nothing about how to have a spiritual birth. And so this is what he said to Jesus. He said, how can a man be born when he is old? And then he said, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so this is how we know that Nicodemus was an older man. But it also shows that Nicodemus clearly desired to be a part of God's kingdom and he desired to have an eternal relationship with the creator God. But he just didn't understand how he could ever make that happen. Now, on Nicodemus's part, he would have assumed that he was gonna be part of the kingdom of God. He just always assumed it. And he had some reasons for believing that. He, first of all, it was because he was an Israelite. He was a part of this, the nation that God had chosen. The second reason was that he was a man. Like men got in automatically. He didn't know about women, but men got in automatically. He never would have fit our culture today, would he, ladies? I mean, you would not have liked Nicodemus, but he liked himself a lot. Thirdly, he was a Pharisee. And this meant that he 
practiced and followed their religious laws, and he followed them strictly. He didn't break them. Fourthly, he was a leader, and fifthly, he was a teacher. In Nicodemus's mind, if anyone was ever entitled to eternity, it was a guy like him. He assumed that religious people get in. But Jesus challenged his sense of entitlement. And he more or less said to him, Nicodemus, I know you think you're entitled to the kingdom of God, to eternal life, because you're religious. I guarantee you, you are not. No one is entitled to eternity with God, even a religious guy like you. And unless you experience a spiritual birth, dude, you're toast. Now, when he says something twice like that, and he says it right up front in the conversation, these are the first words out of Jesus' mouth on that night in this conversation. We need to pay attention to that because there's a message there for you and me as well, and it's this. We are not entitled to eternity either. It doesn't matter how religious you are or have been. It doesn't matter how irreligious you've been. Neither one of those gets you into or keeps you out of a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter if you're a grumpy old man. It doesn't matter. That isn't what gets you or keeps you out of a relationship with God. None of us are entitled to eternity. The only way we get in is if God gives it to us as a gift. Now, you can imagine that this shocked Nicodemus a little bit and his assumptions were challenged and this caused him to start having all kinds of doubts about how he could have an eternal relationship with God. And so he said very simply, how can these things be? How do you get eternal life? How do you get into the kingdom? And y'all, it was a great question and so Jesus answered it. Look at what he said. He said, most assuredly, I say unto you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man, who is in heaven. Now, y'all, if you've ever had trouble reading the Bible and understanding what it means, this might would qualify as one of those classic examples, right? Like, what is all of this about? There's a million things I would love to point out to you, but I only have time for three. And so the first one is I want you to notice that, again, Jesus began with, most assuredly, I say unto you, And he is getting ready to answer Nicodemus' question, how can I know that I have eternal life? And he's telling him, you can stake your whole eternal future on what I'm about to say, Nicodemus. The second thing is I want us to do a little bit of grammar. Do you notice all these little we, 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 and I, and stuff like that? It's grammar. It's first person plural and, and first person singular. You remember that from the eighth grade? Uh, No? Okay, it is. Now, and it matters. It actually matters. 
Because I want you to think about the scene. Nicodemus has come to see Jesus at night, and there's only two people in the room. They're having a face-to-face. So who is the we? Jesus says, we speak what we know. Nicodemus didn't know. He says, what we have seen. Nicodemus hadn't seen any of it. Who is the we? It's not he and Nicodemus. The we refers to Jesus and his heavenly father. Because on many other places, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the father tells me. I don't say anything unless the father tells me. Jesus is talking about things in heaven that no man has ever seen, but he has seen it together with the father. And then from there, he transitions into using first person. He just slips right into it. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Well, Jesus, how could you tell me heavenly things? He could tell him heavenly things because he said, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down. I have come down from heaven. And by saying all of this, Jesus is declaring his equivalency with God. I am God. I came from heaven. And then he clarified it even further. He used a title, the son of man. And when he took that title, Nicodemus's brain would have exploded. Because the son of man title came from Daniel chapter 7. And there, it was a reference to God's Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would come and establish God's eternal kingdom on the earth. And Jesus said, that's who I am. By claiming this, Jesus has now brought his conversation full circle with Nicodemus. Because you remember, we said whenever Nicodemus came in to see Jesus, instead of asking who he was, he made a statement and he said, we know who you are, Rabbi. You're a teacher from where? Come from God. And Jesus says to him, you're right, Nicodemus. I am from God. I am from heaven. I've seen what goes on there. I'm a part of that. I am God. But you have no idea who I'm talking, who you're talking to. You think you're just talking to a fellow teacher like yourself. I'm not a teacher, Nicodemus. I'm the God that you have been teaching about for your whole career. And you're sitting in the room with me right now. Now, if you didn't understand any of that, it's okay. Because I'm about to summarize it for you in one sentence. And it's this. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, it's not what you know that saves you. It's who you know that saves you. (laughs) And so y'all, I wanna make it as clear on this day as Jesus made it to Nicodemus on that night that it is not what you know that saves you. It's not what you've done that saves you. It's not how religious you are that saves you. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that guarantees your eternal destiny. And we've seen it all through the series. 
Jesus said to Martha, who had experienced tragedy, hey, Martha, I'm gonna raise your brother Lazarus who died prematurely, and I can raise you from the dead. Do you believe this? And she had to decide if he could really do it, if that's who he was. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. To the woman at the well, he said, look, you've been looking for your thirst to get quenched in life from every man you know, that you've been married to, and none of them have quenched your thirst, but I have water to give you. It's called eternal life, living water, and one drink of that water will quench your thirst. And now he's saying to Nicodemus, I'm telling you, Nicodemus, I can guarantee your entrance into the kingdom. It's not what you know or what you've done that saves you. It's who you know. And do you trust yourself to him? That's the question. But how do we put our trust in Jesus? If you believe in him, how do you do that? Well, Jesus explained to Nicodemus in just one of the coolest ways, it's so cool, he referred to a story from the Old Testament that Nicodemus had studied his whole life, but he had never really gotten the exact meaning behind it, and Jesus was about to give it to him. Here's what he said. Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, y'all, when Jesus said these words to Nicodemus, he knew immediately what he was talking about, but we don't know. In Numbers 21, there's a story about the children of Israel that goes like this. God had had saved the, the children of Israel, the nation Israel, from slavery in Egypt in an event called the Exodus. And in that event, he had shown his great power and his love for the nation. When they got out of Egypt and they began traveling through a very difficult part of kind of a desert landscape, they faced a lot of hardships and and Israel consistently complained against God because of their hardships. And so on one occasion in this story, God sent poisonous snakes among the people as a judgment against them. And they realized it. They asked Moses, Moses asked God to take away the snakes. We're sorry. But God didn't take him away. Instead, he told Moses to do this. He said, take some brass and mold it to look like one of these snakes and then put it on a high pole in the middle of the camp so that everybody who, you know, the nation camped around it, put it on a high pole. And anytime someone is snake bitten, instead of dying, if they will just take one look at that bronze snake on the pole, their life will be saved. Now, I know I'm a preacher, but that sounds kind of dumb to me. I mean, really. Any of you have any bronze snakes on a pole in your backyard? Uh Uh-uh. I mean, if you're bitten by a poisonous snake, that's not what I'm going to do. But you see, it wasn't the bronze snake that could save them. It was believing what God had said that would save them. And so what God was doing is he was testing the people to say, do you really believe me? Do you really trust me? 
If you do, when you're bitten, take one look at the bronze snake as the sign, the indicator that you believe me. And so to take one look was to trust. To take one look was to believe. And then Jesus summarized this. He told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, in the very same way that those Israelites were snake bitten, every human is snake bitten. Every human needs a savior. I'm the savior. I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross. And whoever takes one look of faith at me, their eternal destiny will be guaranteed. And then he summarized what he had said with the next verse, which is one of the most pristine verses about eternal life in the New Testament. It's one that many of you probably know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, takes one look of faith at him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Y'all, none of us are entitled to eternity, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Jesus said we're entitled to perish because of our sin. But God loved us so much that he gave Jesus to die on a cross to pay for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And in order to be forgiven, all you and I have to do is take one look of faith at Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. It's simple. Because it's not what you do. It's not what you know that saves you. It's who you know. And I know that most of you have heard about Jesus your whole life. But have you ever come face to face with him like Nicodemus did on that night in that dark room? And have you ever said, Jesus, save me. I'm trusting in you. I depend on you. All it takes, Jesus said, is one look of faith. And that's why he repeatedly said, most assuredly I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Let's pray and finish out our series. Lord, we thank you so much that you gave your son and that he believed we could know without a doubt that we have eternal life. And so, Father, we believe, and we've declared that again today, and we thank you for these who've been baptized with their family and friends here. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone who still might have a doubt. I pray that you would give them the ability to believe, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said. Y'all, our prayer team will be here as always. If we can pray with you, let us do that. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.